welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined by our good friend, Natalie Spateri. We're honored to have Natalie here with us, sharing her story, a very personal journey, and a conversation that we don't have very often. But it's through sharing our stories that we can connect to each other and lift each other and change the narrative. Natalie, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hi, both of you. Uh, Thank you for having me back again to chat. Well, we really appreciate you being here tonight for this conversation because it's something that we tapped on a little bit when we were talking in your physical therapy episode. And I I think it's a really important conversation to have. Yes. Do you want to reintroduce yourself and say a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Natalie Spateri. I'm a pediatric physical therapist and I've been a PT since 2009 and I've been working with pediatric patients since 2010. And I believe I met you guys in 2011, I want to say, or maybe late 2010. I don't think he was quite a year. He was having trouble rolling over. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Liam was my first pediatric patient. So you guys are always stick in my memory. You were my first pediatric patients when I switched over to pediatrics. Wow. And um, so since doing, doing early intervention, I've been now, I, now I do, I'm a school physical therapist and I've been doing that since 2014 and I'm still doing that today. And I spoke to you guys about, I also um, dealt with infertility and that's when it came up that my first pregnancy, which was through fertility treatments, that baby had Down syndrome. So I want to talk to you guys about that experience and everything else after that. <laughs> this is a, a very personal conversation, but I believe it's it's really important because I think it affects so many people and I don't think it's a conversation we have. You were talking about IVF and other fertility treatments as well. And then there's the conversation, you can give us personal information about when you received the diagnosis, you know, because unlike a lot of parents, when you receive that diagnosis and you're coming from a level playing field and you don't know, is that right? It's not a level playing field, is it? It's an unlevel playing field because you don't have the information going into it. So you can get wobbly with the diagnosis because there's so much that happens in that moment, but you already had experience with down syndrome. And, and so you can, you know, you can share with us wherever you want to start. So whatever, whatever you want to start with to talk about, we'll start there. Okay. So sure. So, um, so first my husband's a pediatric occupational therapist. So we both come from that peds background of working with children with special needs. Um, so, um, we started the fertility treatments and before you go into IVF, most people do something called IUI which is like intrauterine insemination, like artificial insemination is what it used to be called. And um, usually you try a few of those. And if those don't work, then you go on to IVF. Um, So the we did two of those. And the second one, I became pregnant. Um, And, you know, when you do it through a fertility doctor, they um, test your numbers early on. And my numbers were super high. And before we knew anything, we just knew I was pregnant and, you know, so high that I was like, is this triplets? Like, or what is this? And, um, 
later on, I came to learn that if you're pregnant with a child with Down syndrome, you could have artificially high numbers, but no people really know that because it's only, you would only know if you were doing fertility treatments, how high your numbers were initially. Um, so that was one thing that I thought I looked back on. But anyway, so we were so excited because we had been obviously trying forever for a, over a year. And this was through fertility treatments. And I was just so excited, like, oh, good. I don't have to pay $20,000 for IVF. We got because you know, IUIs are only about $1,500 versus $25,000. What is the difference between IVI and IVF? So IUI is just the insemination where they, you know, they take the sperm and they put it into your uterus and you hope that an egg fertilizes and it's timed with ovulation. You take medication, you, you, you take a trigger shot, they call it, that makes you ovulate at the exact moment that the doctor needs you to when they put the sperm in there. <laughs> so it's all very uh, timed. And um, then you just hope that your uterus works and your the eggs catch and um, that you get pregnant. People that have like quintuplets or you know, quads, those people usually get pregnant through this method. And because you're taking drugs to help you release eggs and they, those people release a lot of eggs and usually the doctor will not do the process if they see too many eggs. So those people that have that, they had a lot of eggs and the doctor, you know, just did it anyway. And, you know, they got a ton of kids. They can see how many eggs drop? They can tell, yeah. They can tell? Eggs. That's, a, I didn't know that. I didn't, I don't know anything about this process. Yeah, I'm very, if you want to, I could do a whole IVF session, but um, you go in and there's, if, if you're not familiar with, if you go through fertility treatments, you get a transvaginal ultrasound almost every other day, which is the wand up your, you know, vaginal area. And they can see the, they call it follicles, the eggs growing. And they know when they hit a certain size that they're ready to drop. And they and then they time it all, and then you take a shot that um, that converts your hormones to make them drop. So that's how they do it. And uh, so um, we did that, and then we found out we were pregnant, and we were excited, and the numbers were high and rising well. So we were. When you go through fertility treatments, you get to do an ultrasound at six weeks, and um, at six weeks we saw the heartbeat, and there's only one. So I was like, oh good, it's not triplets, and. Uh, and um, so we saw one and we were excited. And then because you're going, this is only the fertility doctor initially, you don't see the OB, um, you go every other week and you get to check, you get lots of ultrasounds compared to somebody who did it naturally. So um, everything looked good. And then at our 10 week ultrasound, he got concerned and he said, um, I guess, I, you probably hear this now, but the nuchal, the nuchal lining the, of the neck you know, he's like, it looks very thick to me and I'm concerned, but he didn't say Down syndrome. He's like, I'm concerned there's an abnormality. And um, for me, cause I'm used to, you know we learned about imaging in PT school and I've looked at imaging. I'm like, I don't really look at imaging too much. I need to, you know, if you think it's Down syndrome I would, I would need to see the genetics. I'm not gonna freak out about an image. Did they say Down syndrome at that point? Or they, did they you just guess that. that's what they were getting at? That's what they guess because that's the basic, that's like the main reason they do that test. They say if it's thick, it's usually Down syndrome, I guess. And so he recommended, I was 10 weeks and he recommended I um, go do the blood test that they do now at 10 weeks where you can do the, you can check the chromosomes and the gender at 10 weeks. And I, um, so I went and we did it. And then it was Mother's Day that weekend, coincidentally. So we went through Mother's Day, you know, still like, 
hopeful everything's gonna be fine and then like two days after mother's day i was now 11 weeks and i thought it was going to take two weeks to get the results so i wasn't expecting a phone call but my fertility doctor um, called me very panicked and he was like i need to tell you the results um the baby you know has a 99 percent 99 chance of having down syndrome and i wanted to tell you before the um the, the genetic doctor told you and um he um told me only first because he called me and so i had to call kevin and tell that my, that's my husband, Kevin, I had to go tell him the news. And, but in that same phone call, he was like, if you want to, he like brought it up all right away. He's like, if you want to abort, you know, we need to talk about this soon because, you know, I was already 11 weeks and you need to see what to do. And I was like, oh God, I was like, well, I don't even know what to say right now. And um, he's like, okay, well, let me know. And he's like, I'm so sorry this happened. And um let me know what you decide to do. Oh, and then he's like, I'm gonna rush you to get a detailed ultrasound with, I guess there's opposite, they do detailed like high level ultrasounds to see if, you know, confirm more visually if the baby has the markers for Down syndrome. So I was like, okay. And so that was scheduled for the next day, the day after we found out. <laughs> and so, um, that day I, you know, cause Kevin and I, um, we work at different schools. So we kind of, we cut off work early and cause they called me in the afternoon. So we talked in the car endlessly. Cause we didn't know, like, you know, I won't say what Kevin's thoughts were cause he had, we came from different perspectives, but we were both like crushed thinking. Cause I think both initially crushed. It's because like, I know a lot of my families with down syndrome, you know, and I, you know, with children with down syndrome and, you know, even on the phone, the doctor was like, you know, there's, these kid, you know, kiddos with down or pregnancies with Down syndrome have a 75% chance of miscarrying. So that was like part of his reason for, you know, asking if I wanted to abort already. So, um, you know, the main conversation I had with Kevin, it is like, you know, I, I thought of you guys immediately because I told you initially we were thinking of naming the first baby, you know, Liam, if it was a boy. And because I now have, you know, Liam is, you know, very special to me and I love that name. And so I was like, I just can't, in my head, I was like, I can't think, I can't imagine aborting because then I picture somebody like Liam not existing, you know, and I have so many patients with Down syndrome. I was like, I just can't imagine, you know, the, them just not being here, you know, from a choice um, to not be here. And, you know, Kevin understood that. And um, we, I talked about, you know, all my families, you know, it, they, it doesn't seem like it's something that's impossible, obviously, because I know so many families, obviously everybody's living it and, you know, obviously raising a child with Down syndrome. So it was just so, um, you just, your wheels start spinning. And for me, I was thinking about families like yourselves where I, I knew Liam, you know, shortly after birth. And then now that I'm in the school system, I think about the kiddos with Down syndrome who are in high school. And I think about like, okay, you know, cause I, I kind of get an idea of like, I know what they're like, what their life is going to be like when they're babies and toddlers and school age. And I know what life's going to be like at high school. And then my mind go through everything. And then I went through that TV show, the one, um, you know, with the adults with Down syndrome, that the name is escaping me. Born this way? Born this way. Yeah. I think about that too. Like, and I was like, well, you know, it's just, I can't imagine making a decision to end a life that obviously it's a life worth living and happening. and um, that whole day we were just mostly crying thinking, you know, that all these thoughts are in your head and that, you know, it's already suggesting to abort. And then, you know, we already told a lot of family. And of course I told them that the baby had down syndrome and, um, and they were just, my parents are, um, you know, they, they 
they come from just anybody that doesn't know anything about diagnoses. They were just, you know, feeling like heartbroken that there was something wrong with the baby that, you know, they were worried about that. And so that night, obviously I was like, I'm not going to make a decision. I was like, I'm going to go into this ultrasound. I'm going to see what's going on. Like in my head, I was thinking, you know, if everything looks healthy, then it's just going to, I, I feel like I'm going to need more time to decide, like, I can't just make a decision this fast. And so um, that's kind of where we left it. And then um, the next day we went and um, it was that, that day sticks in my head. Cause like we're in the, first of all, I'm infertile, right? So I'm in a waiting room with a bunch of pregnant women. And on top of it, I have, I know that this baby um, has Down syndrome and people are asking me if I should abort this baby. It was just very hard waiting. And then uh, we did the ultrasound and it was the ultrasound tech. And cause again, I know how to read images it was on a giant TV and it was just laying there. So I already knew that I was like, okay, something is wrong. And it was, I, I don't, I don't, people don't see that often, but like a dead baby on an ultrasound, it was just like really bad to see. And, um, and then they did the heartbeat and I, the doctor did not talk and he just, um, you know, there was no, it was like, you know, the line across and, and then in my head, I'm like, uh, I, I didn't know what to say. Cause you know, you, you think, obviously on one hand, um, something was obviously wrong with the baby, not the Down syndrome part, but something wrong enough that it couldn't even survive past 11 weeks. And then, and just thinking like, you know, how did, why did this happen to me? You know? And, and then the doctor was, um, he's like, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry that you spent this much money to get to this point And this happened. <laughs> That's what he said because he knew we were, from, he knew we referred from a uh, infertility doctor because he, he didn't know how we got pregnant. The only thing I kept thinking was like, at least I, I didn't make a decision about this, you know, it kind of, it happened to me, but it was, it was just so hard knowing that, you know, again, some, you know, with infertility, you have no control. And then here's something that again, you have no control. It just kind of ended. And then, um, and then they recommended an immediate um, DNC because I was 11 weeks and so it was a whirlwind. So two days later I have a DNC. And then they told me um, they wanted to double check the tissues to make sure it had Down syndrome. It was like another check. They're like, we need to make sure it has Down syndrome. And I'm like, oh God, okay, well, let me know. Why, Why did they, they want to do that? I guess just to confirm, I don't, I don't know. They, they tested, I didn't really, they didn't really give me a choice. They just said, we're going to test the tissues. And so I um, said, okay, I guess test the tissues. Maybe to confirm, I guess on the fertility side, was it something that I had caught in this, like something in my uterus that caused whatever to happen? Or was it genetic reasons that it passed away? So, um, um, and then, yeah, they confirmed 100% that it had Down syndrome. And they knew the gender, but um, we decided not to know the gender because it was too painful. It was just too hard to even, um, you know, when you see it lying there dead, it's like, oh, to give it like, then you picture more of a future. So it's just like, I don't even want to just like go in my head. I think it was a boy. <laughs> I imagine it being a boy, um, but uh, we don't know. So then after all that, um, what I was going to tell you guys is the main thing that people told me were like, oh, well, you know, it's a blessing, you know, that it happened because the baby had Down syndrome. So you're okay. You know, and that was the the hardest thing was like, you know, one, um, you know, A, I can't get pregnant normally. So, you know, I, I would have liked to keep the pregnancy. 
And B, it's like hard hearing that knowing I have so many families raising kiddos with Down syndrome and then saying like, well, you know, you're better off this way. You know, it was meant to happen that way. And so, and that's, that's all I heard after. Cause I was very open. I didn't say like, I'm not somebody to hide it. I would say, you know, we lost the baby and had Down syndrome. And the reason it passed away, was there was a lot of swelling. So whatever happened, there was a lot of swelling around the brain. And um, that's mostly what they told me. So, um, and then after that, you know, I just couldn't let it go. Like I couldn't, um, I couldn't let go of the, the thought, you know, you, you picture, like, even if you have the baby with Down syndrome, you picture their future. And I just kept picturing, it's like weird because I pictured the future of raising a child with Down syndrome versus raising a child not with Down syndrome, which was very weird to think that way. And I, um, I started following accounts on Instagram of people who are raising children with Down syndrome. I was just like drawn to it because it was kind of, I feel like for me, it was imagining a life I would have had, had I, you know, had that kiddo with Down syndrome. So um, that's how it went from there. And then we did two more attempts of that intrauterine insemination. So in my head, even though I had this pregnancy with Down syndrome, I wasn't scared to try again to see, because you, you know, with that, you still don't know the kiddo can have a genetic issue or not. Um, but I didn't get pregnant until I had to do IVF. And then doing IVF, they're like, you, you need to do the genetic testing because you have a high risk because you had a pregnancy with Down syndrome. So it's like in your face again about do the genetic testing. And I thought about you, Lori, how your doctor did it without asking you the genetic testing. And um, but for us, we did it because in the end, um, the genetic testing is not just for Down syndrome. It's just to look at you know, if, you know, any cycle you don't get pregnant, you know, it could be random issues, random issues with the eggs. So that's the reason they test because it costs so much money to do the procedures that you don't want to risk putting in an egg that has a lot of abnormalities versus one that you know has no genetic issues. And for me, I was just scared to, you know, go through a pregnancy, get that far again, and then something to be wrong that happens again. So it was just, um, it was, it was hard. And every time you do this, you have to go through genetic counseling. <laughs> so you hear the genetic counseling about all the, they inter, they ask us if we want to take more blood tests to find out if there anything else is wrong with us. Like Kevin and I had to take a lot of blood tests to see if we had any chromosome issues somewhere along the way. And, um, and then it's just in your face a lot. And then, um, I'm in infertility groups on Facebook and it's, it's like the number one question. They say, do I do genetic testing? You know, do I do it or do I not do it? And, you know, a lot of people, you know, talk about Down syndrome, but also the lethal, the lethal mutations that a child can have that you miscarry. So it's a common discussion. And then I'm sure you obviously you see the discussions about how genetic testing is maybe leading to less children with Down syndrome, because a lot of people are doing the 10 week test and deciding to abort. And so that was always in my head, all that. And um, even when I got pregnant, so Landon was that, well, I did a lot of fertility treatments, but Landon was from the second round of IVF. I did the first round, spent $25,000 on the first round. We tested the eggs. Um, I got pregnant, but I miscarried and they don't know why. And then the next pregnancy, um, next, they call it a transfer. Now this is when they already put a fertilized embryo inside me. And um, that didn't stick. And so I left that doctor, the doctor that, you know, asked if I wanted to abort right away. 
I did the IVF with him, but after everything was done, I was like, nope, I'm done with you. I'm like moving on from this. I cannot, you know, too many memories and issues with you. So um, I went to a new doctor and I did the IVF, everything with the new doctor. And then when I got pregnant with Landon, they still recommended genetic testing, even though he was already a tested embryo. And so we had to go in again to the genetic counselor. And um, I felt that feeling again, like I felt like I couldn't breathe knowing one is something going to happen or B is something wrong again, you know, and, you know, obviously, you know, genetically he was, you know, nothing happened and everything ended up being fine. But, you know, even I felt like till the end, I still, it's always in the back of your head. Like, you know, if, if it can happen, it can happen again. And before all this, I did not, maybe you can tell me if that's a false number. I didn't know pregnancies with Down syndrome miscarried because in my head, I'm like, I have so many patients with Down syndrome. It's, I felt like, a, and they're always fine. I didn't know that it was a thing. I just have to think that how would they have that data? You know, how many, I mean, of the miscarriages in, in the country, I don't know if they're doing the country, how many get a genetic test after? I mean, that's a, a, there's a lot of miscarriages that you wouldn't do that. It's, it's, when you said that the doctor said that, it almost felt like it was the doctor saying, you know, like, this is one of the risks. This is the heartbreak you could have. Because when you tell your story, you're the only one that is even teeter-tottering at all of, of yeah. the decision. Of course, you're the woman, you're making the decision, but it didn't seem like you've described anybody around you that was, nobody was saying, here's Down syndrome and what it really Just is. Just the urgency the, of the first phone call of, I need to tell you now before someone else does. I feel like, I feel like that's, that's the, I mean, you experienced, that's, that's how they give you news even after your child's been born. I mean, that's, that's that fear and um, misinformation that that they have. Did you ever talk to the first doctor about the way about his attitude or the way he was present? Because and also I always think of the mom who is pregnant, and that's a lot. And to have you to to create stress in a pregnant woman is so unfair to create that stress and worry. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't talk to him about it because um, I think it was just such a whirlwind. And then we were still stuck in that mode of, well, we still want to get pregnant. And then um, I did get irritated with him after the IVF, after we did IVF. And that's why I was just, but I never, I, he would, oh, he was the kind of doctor. I felt like I should have said more, but I also felt like naive in the sense, like, I'm not sure what other doctor do I go to? Cause I've already put so much money into this one. Like what I do, but he's always like, you ask, you know, so many questions that other patients would have, wouldn't ask. And I said, well, I'm going to ask the questions anyway. It's like, you just have to deal with me. And I felt like maybe I should have left at that point when I heard those comments. But in my head, I'm like, well, you got me pregnant twice, you know, after we did IVF. So I was like, I might as well just stick it out and see if you, you know, my end game is to get pregnant. And then once we had no embryos left, I was just, he was surprised. And I was like, nope, I'm not, I'm done. I'm not coming back to you. It's so weird though, isn't it? That like that you're, you're right. Like they can, they can tell a parent your your child has a hole in its heart and when it's born this is what we're going to do but they don't do that with down syndrome they just say your child has down syndrome you what do you want to do like I, I mean and we know what they're implying and and because it's it's said with such a and usually and a lot of times it's said with you know this is you only have a certain amount of time before you can terminate this pregnancy yeah, it's like digest all this information and go 
and give me that. Give it's me like the they're answer. they're like, telling you they're telling you it already knowing what the answer should be. I'm surprised. It's, I don't know. I'm surprised. It's like, where do they teach that? Like, if you're a resident, like, where does that come from? Like, it's what they don't teach. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much is spent on. I don't even know. I don't even know what you call that realm. <laughs> what do you call that realm of OBGYN school? Um, We've talked to a doctor, a specialist from Boston, Doctor Brian Scottco, and and he he admitted that that that's something that needs to change in the medical community, and he works on doing that through seminars. But in the actual schooling, I, I don't know if bedside bedside manners is something that's taught generally. I think it's just the personal part of being a doctor, and and I don't see any any uh, uh, information given to people to doctors about how to talk to prospective parents of someone with a disability. Well, because honestly you go, but you go back to down syndrome and it's down syndrome. It's pretty specific because you know, it, it's, they, they really, I don't, I don't, I've, I've known other children born with different diagnoses that didn't receive that same conversation. The Down syndrome is the one everyone knows. Everybody it's the knows. One we have all the information of, but and they don't have like all. But it's not all the information. This it's is not you're, all the, they're looking back at a time when children weren't educated, when they weren't supported, when they didn't receive early intervention, when there was no PT or OT, and a lot of times institutionalized. A lot of where they're still coming from is not the actual child and the li- the potential of that life. Or the possibilities, especially now, the, with the everything that's possible with with medical advances, with everything that's happening where we are, those conversations that doctors have are still coming from the doctors that said you don't want to raise, we'll take the baby, and then they put them in an institution, and then looking at what happens to those children who are in an institution and saying, see, this is what would have happened. Well, no, that's not what would have happened if your child would have been raised, you know, with the supports, right? That's not. And, but I think that that's still what they're grasping. That's still where they're coming from. You know, we were very fortunate that the geneticist that we talked to uh, when Liam was born would told us about all the possibility, told us a few different cases where I remember one in particular and he's like, they never really talked about him having down syndrome and he wanted to drive a car. He drives a car. He learned to drive. And that's what he told us. And I kind of got the gist from him is that you, you, you make your own path. You, you kind of support how you're going to. And Liam's pediatrician is a rock star and she was the same down the same vein. You know, we kept him on a typical growth chart for, I think he's still on a typical growth chart. And she'll tell us, she'll be like, this is where he is. He's in the, you know, 10% for a typical. And then if you want to look, he's at 50% child with children with Down syndrome. But she shows us both. And she ne- she said, when he falls, if he ever falls off this one, I'll stop using it. But, and, and we were so fortunate to, once we got out of the NICU, to have those voices, you know, and to have you, to have Caroline, to have Nathan. Like, we were so fortunate that this is what surrounded us. And, you know, and then Liam's going to be a product of that. And it's going to be a lot different than whatever that doctor had in mind when he told you, what do you want to do? That's, it's going to be something that he probably could never even conceive of. Well, you know, the, the medical community is built in a unique way and you can go back 60 years, let's say, and it's not really that long ago where the go-to is institution, let's say, or you don't need to even take this child home. 
you know. And so the way it works in the medical profession is after you've you've gone to college, you then almost take up like an apprenticeship. You know, you go into uh, and, and do rounds with doctors. And so you're learning from that doctor, that doctor from 60 years ago, that that was their go-to. So then that's just handed down. So you think about the generations we are from that 60-year-old doctor. It's probably two, a lot of two things he hands down that we don't, that aren't applicable anymore. Right. And, and you're, you're getting a doctor from 60 years ago that, and, and you're looking at two or three generations, the most from where we are now of doctors who just in this apprenticeship format has, it's just kind of trickled down. So it, it takes, it takes a change. And I, I know it's happening because we see doctors that think differently. You know, we see doctors that maybe got into the profession because they're a sibling of a, of a child with Down syndrome or a, a, a person with Down syndrome. Or they know someone and they they're going specifically into this to make a difference of medicine, but um, it's going to take those kind of people to to change the change the the narrative. I was going to tell you about the phone call. Um, Well, before when we did the blood test, um, the genetic counselors they're very kind. They they talk with a therapist voice and they seem more understanding and calm about discussing everything. So. You know, she was the one that would have called me. I probably would have rather gone the phone call from the genetic counselor than him because she probably would have given a more neutral and educated thought about it because that's what she deals with all day long is doing counseling with people who have found out their kiddos have genetic conditions. So, um, but that didn't happen. So um, that's where we went from there. Thank you for sharing your story because it's, it's a lot and it's very personal and, you know, first of all, in, it, it's not something that we as women talk about. We don't talk about in infertility. We don't talk about the, the extremes that we go to because we want to be mothers and have children. It's not really a conversation. And then the loss of the loss of a child through a miscarriage, that's not something that we talk about. And, you know, women are expected to go through this. They're expected to have all the emotions and then move on. And it's like we're, we're run over by this detached truck of information, a lot of it uninformed information that's kind of dumped on us with no consideration to what that feels like. And I can't, I can't imagine what it was like to have one thing, just be pummeled day day after day for that week with one thing after the other and to have it come in in such a haphazard and uncaring way I'm I'm so sorry I I also think back to when I told like my in-laws um my sister-in-law and my family you know the first reaction is crying and you feel like before it passed away you know when you're just like uh and uh, that's that's something that we've discussed a few times with different guests that it's different. Like you don't, all of a sudden that joy is taken away from you. That that joy of this pregnancy is, is you're robbed of it because of basically the perception that the kind of the world has of Down syndrome that we're, we're trying to change and I think is, is slowly changing. And you know, those people that are supposed to be so happy for us they, they aren't. And I think, I think it's, I know it comes from fear. Uh, and I know it comes from love because they love you 
and then all they can all they have is fear because you know your mind goes to a place i mean our our mind went to a very dark place when we received liam's diagnosis a lot from the way it was you know given to us that didn't really help us to not go there uh but it do you want to talk about that like just sharing the news and yeah, well, the first, I could say for me, the first thoughts I think of, like I told you, I, I know the whole age span in terms of the school age span of kiddos with Down syndrome. What I keep thinking about, it always stuck in my head from the TV show. They're like, what are your plans? And they're like, the parents would be like, well, our plan is to not die. You know, that is our plan. And that's what I think about, you know, when I'm older, if, you know, I had this child with Down syndrome, you know, who is going to take care of them? And in this situation, you know, I have a stepson who's 14, 14 years older than my son. So he, you know, Kevin and I were thinking, okay, he'd be the one taking care of his little brother or sister. And A, do, do we want him doing that? You know, it's hard to picture, you know, a 12, 13 year old, you know, in that role, but that's where you fast forward. Cause that's where I think like, what am I going to do at the end? And that's, that was my main concern. I think I wasn't concerned about the school years or anything. Um, it was just that, you know, what is life going to be like for as an adult? And that was my main fear and where I was just so torn. And that's why I feel like for me, that's where I see the least amount of information. I know so much about zero to three. I know so much about school stuff, but how are these kiddos or how are these people as adults, you know, and how are their lives and is it fulfilling? And, um, and that's where my, so I kept falling. I kept crying thinking about that. Like what is going to happen to them um, when that happens? And my husband was also thinking his, you know, we, we always think, what do we want in life? And, you know, his thing is, I want, you know, I wanted a partner in life and, you know, will our child have a partner in life? And I see that on the TV show. I, so I always refer to the TV show, because that's the only example I have of adults with Down syndrome. But, you know, that, at that age, they all obviously what anybody wants at that age, you know, they want a girlfriend, they want somebody to marry. And that's where my mind just fast forwarded to that. And it was hard for me to think about, like, it was heartbreaking thinking of what, you know, what is going to happen to them? And maybe I think, it's because you don't hear about it ever, what happens to the, you know, them as adults and what's going to go on. Um, we had spoken to my sister, her husband's aunt had Down syndrome. And I didn't know that. I don't think I knew that until after we had this pregnancy. So, so they um, had talked to us, you know, briefly. And, you know, his mom was, my sister's husband's parents were very understanding of all. And they helped, you know, take care of um, his aunt. And so, they were understanding about it all, but that was like one adult I knew with down that I had heard of that had down syndrome. That was like a familial connection. So that was, they were the one understanding ones, but yeah, hearing everyone cry, it just made me cry more because I was like, uh, you know, you just feel like put in a very awkward place. Cause you know, had, had the baby been fine, then you think about, okay, if I tell anyone else this news and then you know, the baby, you know, we have this baby and everyone cries when I tell them because whoever knows this early that the baby has Down syndrome, it's not very common to find out so soon. That would have been very stressful knowing it was infertility, that I'm a special, you know, I work in special education and I, you know, I have a child with Down syndrome. It, 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 I don't know what kind of connections I would have been able to keep with certain um, family members or friends, you know, had I seen reactions that I did not want to see. Yeah, I think that creates a lot of strain on relationships because you do, I mean, we had enough, um, we did have someone say, make a comment and then years later, 
uh, emailed me saying, I just found this email that I sent you and I apologize. And, you know, but that out of so, so many people who had those reactions. And I think that you had those fears about what's going to happen. First of all, is it unlike how you feel about your son now? Like it's the same, you, you have that same worry, no, no matter what, no matter how many chromosomes are there, you're always as a parent worried about your kids, but nobody puts that in perspective to you. Nobody, nobody guides you there because they have that same worry. And I think that's the part of the perception that definitely needs to change because it's not out there. And I think it goes hand in hand. You know, really, if you look at generations before, because you do have a history where, you know, these children, these babies were institutionalized. And I can't name a healthy, typical adult that if you didn't institutionalize them as a baby would not have severe limits on on their success as far as life. And I think that's all we have as an example. And one of the challenges for Stephen and I when Liam was born is, you know, you get led down these paths of, well, you have to see this because this is great. And you go and these, the depictions that are being exalted as just so fabulous Success stories are, are horrible and horrific because that's all, but that was all that was out there. And I do think with like born this way and, you know, social media, I'm, I'm not a big fan big user of social media, but this is where, uh, it, it's so good because you have these people that didn't really have a voice that they have a voice now. And you're seeing, you're seeing that it's not all what's been presented. Yeah. It's not like, Oh, there's that one person with Down syndrome that got married. You know, there's, there's, there's all these examples, right? And you're like, Oh, okay. It's not like this unachievable Anomaly. thing. It's all these people that are living these amazing lives and doing things that have never been done before and doing things that are so, quote unquote, normal, you know, living yeah. normal adult lives. But uh, I, think we, that, that... We, I think of uh, of technology so much has made me feel good because I'm kind of a tech guy and I just think of all safety tech for Sophia. You know, like I think of, of all these you know safer cars and, and, and having um, information at their fingertips and even, I mean, this is going to sound weird to maybe Lori and some other people too, but even having robots in your house or, or, or aids in that way, mechanical aids, I see that for Liam as well to give him more independence because we're, we're looking, you know, 30, 40 years down the line. And, and our goal is to stay alive too. Like when you ask these... these but my these, goal for but, Sophia but that's for is Sophia to stay too. alive. That's I, just, I, I that's be just a, my goal. Yeah, I that's be my a, goal for me. I just want to stay alive for as long as I That's my point. I, I want to stay alive and be a grandparent for both of their kids. I yeah. want to I want to I want to I want to help guide them in their adult life and and I I would worry about that. I worry about that with both of them. I think that the difference between Stephen and I and I can still hear it sometimes like when he'll talk about that and that concern and like I've I've never doubted and and if it doesn't happen then okay then I was wrong, but I've never doubted Liam's ability to have an independent life and that all the pot, the same possibilities that are there for Sophia can be there for Liam as well. And I don't know where that came from. I, I don't know if it's just like that kind of when people tell me, no, I didn't take that for the answer. And I was just like, we're, we're going to, then we'll do it our way. Um, and, and, um, I definitely feel more that now than I did. And that has a lot to do with living with you and your positivity and, and, and then also seeing it. I mean, I, I'm someone that, that may need a little bit more of that, but we have, I've seen so much of these stories that 
we just want to shout out to the world and, and tell. Because like we feel like it's slowly change. You know, it's it. I feel like it's a it's a conversation that's changing because I don't know. Maybe one day it would be great if it wasn't such a big deal and so much energy wasn't put into the discounting of anybody's life to say one life isn't equal to another to another. And I think you having you having the experience with children with Down syndrome. I mean, it's a. <laughs> What a gift. Because I can't imagine, first of all, I can't imagine just the attack on your journey. I can't imagine just that that attack on you, just all these emotions and all these words being th- just thrown at you. I can't imagine what that was like. But, you know, just having insight, understanding the possibility of your child. It was just hard. Everyone would always say, well, you know, luckily you miscarried, you know, and it was always... I, and and I, it was always hard to hear that. And I would always just come back like, you know, I wish obviously that I was kept the pregnancy and had a healthy child, you know, that, you know, and yeah, it was weird. You know, that was always the, what I heard. And I can't believe people would say that to you. I mean, yeah. just, I mean, well, things are changing slowly. I know, but, but just a will... woman, a, I mean, just even just miscarriage, like the, that's, the horror of a miscarriage <laughs> is what that loss is, is to, to, to minimize that loss into this almost sweep it under the rug i mean i guess that's th- and, and to ever you know without that therapeutic did i don't know did anybody ever ask you how you felt did i mean i don't think so i don't i mean like my parents obviously but you know they're they always ask so but um no and then my friends did they you know because it was four years ago um so it's hard for me to remember all the conversations I had. Um, you know, my close friends would say, I'm sorry about, you know, one, I guess I'm sorry that the baby had Down syndrome and that's why the baby passed away, you know, or now they're sorry about that. Um, some were sorry in general, but it was always just the main comment, like, well, this was meant to be this way, you know, and, and for somebody with that's infertile, you just, you hate that statement all the time that, you know, well, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. Like those statements just, you know, make me cringe. Um, And that's kind of what I got a lot. (laughs) Like, you know, this, you know, you know, people say it's God's will. I'm sure you hear that, you know, I'll pray for your child. It's God's will, that, that kind of stuff, you know? And I'm like, no, let's, let's not say that. (laughs) So um, I was going to talk about how you guys said how social media has helped because of, you know, this was four years ago when all this happened, I started following all these accounts of parents with down, you know, kids with down syndrome. And then you see on social media, the communities that form of parents, you know, raising children with down syndrome. And I also joined all the communities of people with infertility. And you just see the common thread of seeing, you know, people like you, you're not alone. And people seeing like, this is a life worth living in terms of the infertility life. You know, if somebody decides not to have children anymore, that it's still a life worth living. And I was looking at that path too, because we didn't know what was going to happen. So same way I was looking towards the future and be like, I'm, this is, there are people like me out there and they're happy and life will be okay. <laughs> if you're, you know, if the, you know, if I never get pregnant, but I, I really, again, I felt drawn to all the families with kids with down syndrome because I, I wanted to see that life as well. And I, I came across uh, even a, an account that if you ever want to check her out, um, she got pregnant through fertility treatments like me. Um, but she didn't test her embryos and she had twins and one has down syndrome and one does not. So she's raising twin girls. Um, and then she just had a third child through um, IVF as well. 
So she has the twins, the one with Down syndrome, one that doesn't, and then another girl that is um, uh, that has no genetic issues. So she has her three daughters, and I follow her life because I feel like that could have been me. Like, what you know, what's that like? And so, um, how does that make you feel? Like watching watching that unfold? It makes me feel like I like you know I I would have been okay. Like this, I could have done it. Like it, it was doable. I kind of feel weirdly like left out of that community now because it's, you know, cause I, I felt tied to it. It was like, well, I never had that child with Down syndrome. I feel like left out of it. But for some reason, I keep following all these families of kids with Down syndrome because I just feel drawn to it. Like in my head, I have this imaginary life of how it would have been, you know, raising a kiddo with Down syndrome. And I follow a few, I mean, I have a lot of accounts. I follow people, uh, a family with Down syndrome. One who you might like, um, I don't know if you, I have to look up her name, but she adopted two children, I want to say from Romania that were like institutionalized. And she got, she adopted one at the age of 12, you know, and how she is now. And the other kiddo, she adopted him younger, but she talks a lot about her life. I mean, you know, her life raising them, but how, you know, how it's been emotionally helping them recover or, you know, as much as they can from being institutionalized. When you look at all these, you see all the comments of, you know, family supporting each other, you know, and, you know, saying, it's just all basically like we would see in any mom Instagram page. And I don't follow any of those accounts. I cannot stand regular mom, fertile women, Instagram pages. Like those are not those. I feel like, you know, like, you know, I'm sure you see, like you, um, I appreciate all the little things now. And I feel like typical accounts don't do that. They just complain about a lot of stuff and, uh, but I don't, I don't see that in my counts of children with special needs. Other, because I follow again other diagnoses. I follow various diagnoses, um, and I, you know, you see a whole different type of parenting and more supportive parenting on all those Instagram pages versus the typical mom Instagram page. Well, we were just having this conversation today because I don't judge anybody. And I know everybody's doing their best. I do know that we have a different appreciation. One for the little, like when Liam got out of the NICU, we automatically just had appreciation that he was alive, right? And I think we do definitely appreciate every single milestone and moment and the things that that people sometimes will complain about. I, I feel like the quarantine was a big equalizer. Yes. The things that we've been doing for 10 years now, uh, other families of typical children had to then do. And it wasn't easy. It, and it, and there was a lot of belly aching. <laughs> and, you know, where Stephen and I just were like, okay, well, you know, that's, that was, that was a gift. That's a gift of Liam to just go, we got this and we're going to do it like this. And that's, it's unfortunate because the way the news is given to parents and the picture that is still painted a lot, you know, I think, it, I, again, I think it's changing. I think it changes because of social media. I think it changes because the med- a new, you know, crop of medical profession is coming up, a more inclusive based professionals. And so I think it, it is slowly changing. And I think that, you know, it's unfortunate that that's the way that people still give news and that they see Down syndrome because, there's so many gifts that never get talked about. Like people don't talk about 
you know, doctors don't talk about the immense love. They don't talk about the positive effect it has on your family and on the siblings as far as just, you know, as you see Sophia, who's so protective, but also Sophia has often said, you know, I, I'm not going to complain or not tackle this challenge because she sees Liam doing it all the time. You know, our family always says Liam's the hardest worker. And it's unfortunate that you, you had to experience the negative side of it, you know, because I'll tell you that you're just such a great human. I'm, I'm so sorry. People said things that were so hurtful that took away from your celebration and then really dishonored your loss and your ability to, to grieve. And I, I just, I wish we, we could have done something at the time to, to bring you comfort or ease. No, oh, thank you. Yeah, I am. Um, well, having this conversation, you know, allows me to think about more like, yeah, what, you know, if to help someone else in the situation, what would help to hear, what would it help to hear at that point if you found out early in pregnancy? And also to educate the next physician I come by about how to, Talk to, talk to somebody about that versus what I had to go through. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Oh,